Brent has been officially initiated into the stay up all night at the studio cramming to get a project done right before you got a travel club. Everybody gets to join that at some point. Yeah, it doesn't come with a lot of perks, really. Uh, There is a jacket, but we have to measure Brent first. Yeah, we forgot to do that. But Brent really banged it out with with some help from my wife, absolutely, as well. Hadia, she she helped. And the two of them stayed up until 3 a.m. before Brent's flight to build something really special for us. I, you got to tell them what it is, Brent. I, I don't want to steal your thunder. Well, I'll just say, you know, originally I was disappointed because all my flights changed and I wasn't going to be able to do this project. And then last minute, Chris, I don't know, you must have changed things. So I could manage to build the server rack. I bought out all the COVID tests around here. Clearly, I don't know how much you paid for that, but it must have been lots, probably more than a server rack. I bought them all out so that way you had to delay your flight. And, and yeah, it worked out perfectly. Yeah, we actually, um, you know, loaded the SUV up with a whole bunch of wood and went and Bought some used casters that are pretty awesome and uh, built a pretty sweet custom case for all the servers that we have inbound. So 3 a.m. at the studio, totally worth it. Yeah. And now we have a sweet server rack for our server studio data center garage. I think we're going to need to remember to put some links in the show notes for this one. Hello, friends, and welcome back to your weekly Linux talk show. My name is Chris. My name is Wes. And my name is Brent. Hello, guys. Both of you are looking sharp and ready to go. We have a great show. You know, we've been looking at the data, we've been following the trends, and we think we've cracked what it really takes to drive Linux user adoption these days. Like, if we were savvy YouTubers, we'd have a zany face, and our thumbnail would say something like, don't miss this one trick all distros should be doing. And it'd be really kind of like attention grabby. But we think we have something here. We're going to share with you our hypothesis that we formulated uh, after some late night uh, binging of server builds. Uh, but before we go any further, before we get into that and the picks and the feedback, we got to say hello to our virtual lug. Time appropriate greetings, Mumble Room. Hello, 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 Brent. Hello. What a handsome bunch. Look at that. Oh, man. And they all got matching hats. Why didn't we get it? Yeah, we weren't clued in. There's a whole, like, swag black market happening around the show, and we're not getting any of that action, you know? So I'm sure some of them will show up next Sunday, because next Sunday is our meetup, meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting, if you're in the Pacific Northwest. We're going to do a little, uh, here's what I think, I don't know exactly how it's going to go down yet, because, you know, we, we're always, we're flexible. We're, we're a couple of wild and crazy guys, so we're easy. But I'm thinking, we do a little meet and greet at 11 a.m. So start showing up at 11 a.m. is what I'm thinking. So that probably means you got to get here like 10.30. Yeah, yeah. And then we do a little meet and greet, do some introductions. I'll have a couple of uh, devices out that I'd like to see if people could get working, the devices that Brent and I have been playing with ah, recently. A few meet-up challenges to go around. I yeah. like it. There's so many of those devices. <laughs> Yeah, actually, you know what I'm looking at? Here's another one right here. We could throw that in the pile, too. I got to get these charging, though. <laughs> You're right. I just walk through the studio and pick a few up that are sitting around the studio. Um, then we'll do the show live, right? So we'll put the speaker out there. People can hang out in the living room. Throw the live stream on the TV. You got it, right? And uh, then after we're done with that, we'll go out there. We'll start cooking it up. And I, I encourage people, if they, gotta, if they got something they can bring with them, that they can heat up in a microwave or an air fryer or oven or on the grill, bring it with you or if it's cold. But if you don't, we're going to try to come up with a few things. And uh, then we'll just do eating and hanging for a bit. You know, talk about cryptocurrency, I'm sure, because that always comes up now, anytime you do a public event. 
and uh, talking about Linux because whenever we're doing a JB event, that always comes up too. So we'd love to see you. Meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting. It'll be happening next week during the live stream. And, uh, you know, we could probably have the stream going. I could see that. People come in. We'll probably do, you know, uh, yeah, a couple of chats should. on mic, have Why them not? hot. Why not? That could be fun. Try to capture a bit of the experience. Yeah. I know it's 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 limited because it's just up here in the corner of oh, we're sorry. the States. We are. Uh, but it is the times as they are. But we are actually formulating plans for a 2022 road trip. By formulating, I mean we're talking about how we should probably make plans. That's how far we are in the planning. But, but step one is think about needing to think about it. We got real good intentions. Yeah, we sure do. <laughs> we got the best intentions. Uh, we have some news to get into. Um, one of them I just love covering because uh, one, <sighs> of, one, one of my predictions is already coming true. How great is this? Flathub is going to verify first-party apps and allow developers to collect the monies. We'll have a link to Gaming on Linux here where Liam did a write-up that's really good. And he says, Flathub is going to gain a way to process and verify apps from first-party teams, as in developers who directly publish their app and manage the Flatpak package process for Flathub. Not only that, but GNOME want to give developers a way to collect donations and subscriptions to maybe important for sustainability. Mm. And there's some talk about having a way for developers to share some of that revenue back up with Flathub. Right. So, uh, interesting. That I think is a great idea, you know, because Flathub is a good service and that listing... I mean, and and it you know, takes resources to run. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think it plays a good, important part in the ecosystem. It looks like there's also going to be a way to distinguish first-party publishers and third-party publishers. That's good. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've discussed this a few times already. It comes up a lot, unfortunately. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, so some clarity there. That's appreciated. And, um, you know, I think it means I've already won my prediction. I think. I mean, we don't know the details, but I feel like... See, now I'm, unfortunately, I'm hoping that somehow, like, Flathub goes bankrupt in the <laughs> year. Like, if the Flathub doesn't wow. exist at the end of the year, just so you... No, no. That's not worth it. Never mind. How badly do you want to see me lose? <laughs> Uh, I've just been so good lately. I don't know. Did I did I do all right? I can't remember. But I am I am very happy to see that news. And um isn't it fascinating that what one of the things that's driving flatback adoption and just sort of user adoption and developer adoption is centralizing on Flathub, but one of the very core issues that people had with snaps was the centralization at Canonical. This is just a different group with a different kind of centralization. But because I guess it didn't start here, we're okay with it. Or is it just because it's not canonical? I'm not sure. I don't, I don't know anymore. There is a fun, I mean, we're a, we're a funny bunch in that sense. You know, it, it kind of matters the, uh, some of the intention, some of the philosophy for, for how we built it. You know, the, well, we could run our own if we wanted to. We mostly don't, though, because why would we want to? But we can. Okay, now I want to talk about the Seuss Liberty Linux announcement. This has been quite the clown show to watch. Now, our backstory on this, just under full disclosure, is we've been watching this since, I don't know, October, because there was some data that showed up in the repositories that suggested a distribution named Seuss Liberty Linux was hitting the update repositories and the Apple repositories. And looking at it, it seemed to be maybe there was even a good amount of them, you know, not just like one or two. Enough to be noticeable, yeah. Yeah. But this week, we got the announcement of SUS Liberty Linux, and it's not a Linux distribution. It is a support offering. <laughs> I've been a fan of SUS recently, but I have to say, this is one of the more hilarious boondoggles in Linux recently. So they announced SUS Liberty Linux, which on its own sounds like a Linux distribution. It does, yeah. Yeah. 
it turns out it's a support offering that supports SUSE systems and RHEL-based systems like CentOS. You know, those mixed Linux environments. They use the offering of breaking you free of lock-in as like the main value pitch of the platform. But the entire claim is ironic because if it was locked in, they wouldn't be able to offer the SUSE Liberty service in the first place. So it clearly shows there isn't lock-in and that you can use different vendors like TuxCare or others. Was that ever surprising? No. And so that's ironic too. But then here's the other thing is nobody knew if it was a Linux distribution or not because it was the worst kept secret. Everybody knew there was a distro in in the works for a bit. And clearly all of the marketing and all of the communication language and the branding is SUSE Liberty Linux. So when it launched, there were even SUSE employees on Reddit claiming it was a Linux distribution. And kind of embarrassingly, the register ran with the headline that reads, Seuss announces something for those who miss the old CentOS, Liberty Linux. And they, the whole pitch was it's a, their new distro. And they say, it seems to be based on a rebuild of CentOS 8. Although how they knew that, since there was no distro released, is anyone's guess. And everyone was confused by this. And it's hilarious. And I have a little bit of bacon. Oh, fry it up. Before I get to it, do you have any thoughts on this entire boondoggle since we've been watching this since the beginning? No, I mean, it just it just does, hearing you sort of go over it right now, okay, trying to laugh a little less, I just, it's unfortunate that there's not very clear communication here. You know, like, that that's too bad. Maybe some folks will actually find this new product offering useful. I'm trying to look at that part of it seriously. It's just kind of unfortunate that that's all going to, you know, kind of get ignored for what we're talking about now. Right. And then to kind of add to the kind of kind of funny launch, um, it, it may not even still be, but the day that they launched it when Wes and I were going over everything to really try to put this all together, because we wanted to get our we wanted to get our first yeah, take what, and land right. And yeah, we did. What was this? Right. We didn't want to go out of the gate calling it a distro because it's not. But like at the time they launched it, I couldn't even see a way to buy it. Like they talk about on their website, like you can buy it online from the Seuss online store, but when you go there, it's not actually offered in the dropdown of product offerings. <laughs> and you didn't, I tried to get you to, but you didn't seem interested in scheduling a call no. with, with them. <laughs> so I wouldn't be surprised if the sales aren't off the hook. Uh, but I can see existing. It's still 404, at least this huh. product page. They changed the URL slugs for products. So the link in the, uh, in the, in the announcement Originally, they edited it now, but originally it had a singular a singular word product in the slug, but the URL is actually products with a plural. Yeah. That's yeah. Too, that's, see, that's just yeah. unfortunate, too. Um, so there's that. And then you have uh, the whole issue of why did everybody think it was a distro? Like, why did everybody get it wrong? Besides the messaging just being totally wrong in the way they describe it, it sounds like a distro at first. I got my theory. Here's my bacon about this. I think it was a distro. I think it was a distro until about the end of the year. And then they pivoted strategy because maybe somebody listened to Lan or maybe it just became obvious or, you know, enough momentum build up. But this was my take in Lan when we first talked about this rumor. And I think it all kind of holds out. Everything makes sense if this was going to be a distribution and it was going to be part of this offering, right? It was going to be part of the support services. So if you wanted to get this, you could manage your SUSE systems, CentOS systems. And if you wanted to just maintain compatibility and not jump into stream, you could use their CentOS 8 rebuild. That is what they were going to do. But then they realized they would be creating the same exact paradox that Red Hat found themselves in, right? Red Hat had a problem where the thing that paid the bills was also be given away for free. And it was 
basically engineering versus sales, and you're never going to resolve that kind of conflict. Eventually, sales is going to win because sales has numbers they have to hit. They have a KPI they got to hit, and they got to deliver results. So eventually, that machine turns inward and looks for where they're giving away the milk for free, and they stop that. That's exactly what Sousa was about to start doing. They were about to start giving away for free a rebuild of CentOS that competes with Sousa Enterprise Linux. And how the hell can you charge an, a premium, which they do charge a premium, for Sousa Enterprise Linux if you're giving away CentOS for free? It just doesn't make any sense. And I think they had to have that conversation internally, and they realized it's a lot harder to, to fix this once we make this launch, and we'll just end up committing the same exact crime in community's eyes that Red Hat did, right? They, this had to be the conversation. This is our chance to not make the mistake. Like, we, we got to make this decision before we release it, because once the cat's out of the bag, once the genie's out of the bottle, you know, it's really embarrassing to put it back in. It gets worse from that, right? Like, if you if you think about it, the, the other aspect of this that I don't think a lot of people think about is that those sales pay those engineers, right? Like, so it gets... Um, What's the word I would use for this? Uh, particularly sadistic or masochistic. Masochistic. That's it. When you do this to yourself, because then you wind up in a situation where those people that you that build those things that you enjoy for free aren't getting paid to keep doing it, and so they can't. And that makes things super, super complicated. Yeah, that's complicated is a good way to put it. So this, this Seuss Liberty thing, I know it sounds confusing. It's not a distro, at least not yet. Maybe that's still part of the plan. Who knows? We're going to keep an eye on things. Linode.com slash unplugged. Now, I, I kind of feel like you should do this one. Somebody wrote in and said, have Wes do the Linode read. I wonder if you've heard me do it enough that you could do a Linode read. So it's Linode.com slash unplugged. Go there for $100 in 60-day credit. And support the show, obviously. That's, I mean, you got to support the show. But why use Linode, Wes? Oh, there's so many good reasons. I mean, one, it's kind of a, it's one of the services that Chris can can use reliably, you know? You don't have, true. You don't have, you can interface with all kinds of programmatic APIs and fancy command line clients, but also... You could use your Kubernetes. You can use your Kubernetes, yeah. But you can also just spin up, you know, Linux machines. It's true. As soon as you want. They've got, like, the distros that you probably already want to run. I mean, oftentimes... All the, all the distros, really. It's easier, you know, if there's a new server release. I don't need to bother with something on my laptop because Linode's got the distro. They've, they've just released it. It's on Linode. You can just boot it up right there. Yeah, you want to go play with Stream? It's on there. You want to try Alma? It's on there. You know what else we use the heck out of? That block storage. Hoo-wee. I mean... Do we store things any other way at this point? No, probably not. I mean, if you want to mess around with disks and partitions like an animal from the 90s, you could. That does not sound like our style. No, no. There's so many great reasons to use it. Plus, did you know, Wes, you might not have known this, best customer support in the business. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All the time, they're available for you when you need them. And 30 to 50% cheaper than those big hyperscalers that are just trying to vendor lock you in anyways. Yeah, and when you look at some of the, you know, those hyperscalers, they're just gonna, they've got everything. There's no way to tell, like, is this a good product? Is this one of your, like, premier things or just a random offer and you have to be competitive? And I feel like with with Linode, the things that they offer, they're really, they're gonna stand behind. You nailed it. You know why? They've been doing this for 18 years, almost 19 years now. And, like, uh, legitimately, 20 years on the internet is like 100 years in real life. Like, tw- maybe even same, more. Same as dog rules, right? <laughs> yeah, maybe more, man. Like, 20 years doing something on the internet is mind-blowing. They were really in on this stuff early. And that they just made a great product. And, you know, they're independently owned. They didn't have to go the crazy VC funding route. 
They got 11 data centers around the world. And they've been supporting the hell out of Linux media now for like almost two years. They've also got some pretty great out-of-band access for when you really break your machine. Not, not that I've not <laughs> no. that I've had to use that. No. Or like when you want to load some crazy image on there that they don't have in the dropdown, you can't actually get it done. Yeah, they're not going to artificially limit you. They're ready to get weird with it. We have. We have gotten really weird with it. Linode.com slash unplugged. All right, well, if there was one trick to win over Linux users, maybe we've discovered it. I don't actually think it's us. I kind of say all this tongue-in-cheek. Well, we've crunched the data, done our research, and maybe, maybe noticed a trend? I don't know, that's too serious. But think we found something of a draw for Linux users. Yeah. What I, they're looking for in a distro I think you know, in 2022. At least a large percentage of Linux users. I think it's almost beginning to trend depending on what data sets you look yeah, at. Yeah, you know, it's hard to generalize. We're not trying to uh, say this is true for everyone, yeah. but... To, so, to understand where we're going with this, you got to come take a stroll with us through Linux Mint 20.3. What? Yeah. Yeah. So this is going to get us to our point. 20.3 came out recently, and um, it's a nice looking release. Brent, I think, probably has the most experience with Mint as a former longtime user. So I think we should start with you and your impressions on 20.3. Unfortunately, I didn't get to spend like a week or two with it, which I probably would have loved to. Hey, not yet anyway. Not yet, there you go. But I do have a long history with Linux Mint. Um, when I first started, I used Ubuntu for like, a, I don't know, six months or something, and then was desiring a little bit more and landed on Linux Mint. This was probably, I don't know, five plus years ago, maybe even more than that. And I used it for a few years. I even tried their Linux Mint Debian edition for a while, which is their sort of rolling release cadence edition. And I liked it. Um, eventually, it felt... I've been trying for years to sum up why I moved away from Linux Mint. And I think it's because it felt like there were some restrictions on it. It's almost like Mac in that if you're doing what they want you to, it works great. If you're trying to do anything outside of what they want you to, then it becomes a little bit of a challenge. But at the same time, I was really interested in jumping back in. It's been several years. And I think I do have this fondness for Linux Mint, even though I haven't thought of it for several years. So... Jumping in was interesting because Cinnamon feels exactly like it used to, which was really kind of nice, actually. It felt like coming home, in a sense. And then when I poked around, I started discovering, oh, yeah, 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 there's all these like defaults that are seem sane and are pretty lovely for you know what they advertise on their website, which is that most of their users come straight from Windows. And I think that's a really reasonable approach. But as I dug in, I started remembering all of those limitations that just felt, I don't know, not quite our style these days, maybe. And um, so I got mixed feelings. I think that's fair. I agree with everything you said. It really is iterative improvements with Mint, which means that if you've taken a few years off from trying it, and I, I also tried the Cinnamon Edition, and you sit down and try it, I really can perceive the improvements over time. I felt specifically from just the last release to this release, out of the box, high DPI support is nice. The GTK theme is cleaner. And so I just as a thought experiment, because I haven't been using Mint for a while, I first installed the previous release, brought that all up to date, used that for a day, and then wiped it and installed 20.3. 
and immediately just wrote down my thoughts on the differences just to kind of get an idea of what kind of improvements. And for the most part, it's like new, new apps, like, like the new things app and uh, the high DPI support out of the box is really nice. I also felt that cinnamon was greatly improved from the time I'd used it previously, a little less shiny, you know, like less transparencies and window effects, but now it feels very solid really stable. I didn't have any crashes. I even threw a bunch of widgets in the menu because I used to always be a surefire way to crash it. But no, it did fine. It really does kind of now hit that sweet spot between Plasma and Gnome. There's rough bits still. Uh, the App Store feels really low effort. Mm-hmm. Like they're just shipping the default uh, and not putting any curation in there. Like when you go, for example, right now on mine, when you look at the editor's picks, there's, you know, half a dozen apps that are listed in this editor's picks as if somebody hand-selected these. But then there's two entries for wine with two different icons, and one's version 3.7 and one's version 4.0. And I can't really determine which one is like the one they consider the default because it doesn't expose that information. And there's no Flathub. There's no flat. There's no Flathub mm, integration. Right. So that kind of stuff I was a little disappointed to see, but I could see them adding that stuff over time. But what I'm really impressed by is if you get out of your uh, head as a as a, like a longtime Linux user, and you look at this as somebody who's just trying to get some damn work done, you know they have really nice things in there like a USB image writer is installed by default, an application called Backup is installed by default, and it's a decent little app. We've talked about TimeShift before. They have just system diagnostic and information. You just click that; it's in there. It's it's obvious, and they've managed to keep it uncluttered, which is impressive because you could see adding all these little tools and these X apps over time would really clutter things up, but they've managed to keep it pretty clean and kind of decide when to pull things out as well. So because they've done this iterative work and they've been evolving all of this stuff for a while and they've been able to keep up in this release with some of the more recent-ish GTK trends. I mean, of course now GNOME 42 is out and Libidwadi is now a thing and they're nowhere near that, but you're right. I mean, in the in the longer view sense, I was it was nice to see like you know the dark the dark style support yeah, and exactly. some like added you know accent colors and stuff. That none of that was there the last time I tried cinnamon. Right. Yeah, and it's just all like uh, I could go over to like the advanced side and I turned on uh, experimental fractional scaling. Oh, right. And I'm I'm thinking I'm running to like 140 or some weird some weird number, but I mean it actually looks fine. It doesn't look blurry. Like they they did a good job, and uh, that the kind of like. Day-to-day steak and potatoes thing somebody needs from a desktop computer like it like it used to always be. It really kind of feels like they're nailing all that stuff while not getting sucked into the technology stack of the week kind of situation. I'm curious on your thoughts, though. I think I agree. There's there's a lot of elements that stand out as being you know thoughtfully looked after, and then there are some holes where there you know they're just missing pieces. Fair. Um, I was I liked a lot of the welcome experience. You know it. It detected and asked about, like, did I need to improve my video driver situation, which I thought was pretty nice. And there's just a few things kind of like prompting you to set things up. Although, once you start diving into, say, snapshots or the firewall, you do kind of run out of rope on having your hand held. So I think some of this stuff is maybe more easy in the welcome screen for someone who's really just switching from Windows, and then it gets advanced kind of quickly. But I, I can't fault them for that. Those are just complicated topics. In the past, you know, I did use Cinnamon a lot on a, on a work machine that I had to dual boot with Windows. And so that kind of, you know, the, the interface style matched up pretty well. And it was, wasn't a machine I customized. I was just curious to revisit. Could I just, could I use it as a boring old workstation? And yeah, I think it still works pretty nicely for that. It's somewhere in between, 
you know, maybe the the pure simplicity of a of a GNOME experience. You get some of the plasma things, but without having as much customization to maybe need or be tempted to do. Because that's exactly where I think I would still deploy Cinnamon is an environment where I just want to forget about the DE. You know, it's not ugly enough to be offensive. I'm, I can just forget about it. Gets out of your way, but does have some power features when you want it. It is interesting. Also, we mentioned sort of catching up in the. Uh, you know, the GTK world, but catching up on the Ubuntu derivative world, when I was going through the, you know, the boring old installer, I don't mean that in a bad way, but just the boring old installer, yeah. still no ZFS, yeah. you know, you just get EXT4 if you don't go with LVM. Right. Made me wonder, what's going to happen with that Flutter transition? Is Mint keeping the sold version? Are they going to adopt where Canonical goes? I don't know. I, de- I, be- I bet they don't. I bet they don't, yeah. Good question. I wonder. Yeah, I'm kind of tired of that installer. I mean, it sure does work, but I feel like I've been using it for about 10 years. I don't know. Mm. But I guess it gets the job done, right? It'd be nice to see some some like advanced options around ZFS or Butterfest, but I get that's not their demo. And I, I got to take that into consideration. So here's where we're going with this. Even with all of this said, you know, it's the steak and potatoes. It is the what is on the label is what you get Linux distribution. It's a great landing spot for Windows users. And I think that makes sense for a lot of us. But there's still an element that's missing that seems to be drawing users away from Mint at a rapid pace. So much so that they seem to be attempting to address this over the last year or so. And I wasn't familiar with this until I went digging around. But I've discovered that Mint is now publishing Edge ISOs. Have you seen this? Yeah. They've done it for the last couple of releases. And it is simply a version of Linux Mint with newer kernel drivers a newer kernel like right now they uh, are shipping 5.4 in mint but in the edge version they're shipping 5.13 which has a bunch of nice improvements in there and um, we talked a little bit about this on Linux Action News so for an expanded look on this it's worth listening to that but Boilingsteam.com ran a post and the headline is this all roads lead to arch the evolution of Linux distros used for gaming over time. And you look at the data from ProtonDB and from Steam, and it seems kind of obvious. Linux users are migrating over time in considerable numbers away from Ubuntu and Debian and Mint. Those are taking it the hardest. And they're moving over to Arch Linux, Manjaro, Garuda Linux, and Endeavor OS. Boiling Steam writes... Arch has gained progressively some share solidly now at 20% for several months, but the whole landscape looks a lot like Arch derivatives now. Manjaro is almost as big as Arch itself, and Garuda Linux and Endeavor OS are 6-7% to of the mix. In effect, almost half of the gamers on ProtonDB are running some form of Arch. And when you look at the data trend, which they visualized here, we'll have a link in the show notes over the years, you just see a steady progression of Arch over and over. And it isn't really even kind of like a, like an, it's not like a, a huge jump. It's just this slow and steady. It, it does seem to speed up as we get closer to uh, now. What do you think this is? Do you think it's the Arch user repository, Wes? There's probably a lot of things. You know, we've kind of mentioned maybe the, what could be perceived as a lack of investment or excitement around the Ubuntu desktop. There's probably also an element of some of these Arch derivatives being more explicitly about marketing to gamers and having a lot of improved experience around just getting up and going and having a system that's like ready to game. So there's probably a few factors maybe combining, and Arch is just fun. 
Yeah, I think you're right. And I think the one of those factors, which is what Linux Mint recognized, is newer kernels because people want newer drivers. And they want newer drivers because they're switching over to Linux to try it for gaming, and they want the best frame rate, the best performance, the best hardware support possible. And um, while I was on Mint, I tried out the tool called Mainline. So there used to be this Ubuntu kernel picker that would uh, use the canonical PPA and install a Mainline kernel. But that developer quit working on the project, I guess. But there's Mainline now. It's a command line app that you install. And it makes it really simple to list all of the available kernels for your system. And then you can just do like a mainline install latest. Oh, cute. Like a little kernel manager right there for you. Exactly. And it takes care of getting the right headers and the build files and and doing all the boot manager stuff. And it all makes sure it gets pulled down from Canonical's PPA. So it's a legit source. And so last night on my mint box, and you could do this. You wouldn't have to get the edge ISO or you could do this on Ubuntu. I installed kernel 516. Using this tool. Oh, look at you. But hey, I mean, there's some stuff in Proton, you know, for Proton in there. So right. why not? You get the Futex stuff. And here's the reality now is you get this really nice, tried and true, slowly iterated cinnamon mint desktop that isn't going to change on, on end users very much. And with this kind of tool, or you could do it yourself, you could get the latest kernel and you get a lot of benefits that way. And I think users are just opting to go with distributions that do it for themselves. And I think even Canonical sees this. They see what's going on with these trends because they're hiring a Linux desktop gaming product manager right now. And Canonical wants to, quote, make Ubuntu the best Linux desktop for gaming. And they want to, quote, work with partners in the silicon world to ensure the latest graphics drivers and tweaks are built in for optimal frame rates and latency. Well, how do you do that? You got to get their code upstream in the Linux kernel. So that means you have to ship a new kernel. Right. That's what the deck has to solve. Like you can have all this code going to Linux kernel, but if, if you're shipping 5.4, it doesn't matter. It's all, it's not in a kernel that you're shipping anymore. So Canonical can't solve this problem. They can't work with, this is from their job post, quote, work with partners in the Silicon world to ensure the latest graphics drivers and tweaks are built in. They can't do that. And they also say they want to work with mechanisms such as anti-cheat capabilities and make sure that they are available to ensure fairness and product availability for Ubuntu users, they're not going to do that again unless they work with an upstream kernel because some of that stuff is landing in the kernel thanks to Calabra. I mean, I suppose you do have what you have hardware enablement, you got PPAs, but does that just not does that have a different a lack of appeal? Does it feel more of a set as an afterthought? Well, I think if you look at why people are deploying Manjaro or Garuda, it's because it's just the default. It's defaults rule supreme. You got that. Plus, then you got well, they're not testing against it, right? Like the idea mm. is these other distros are building their distro with the idea that you're going to have the latest kernel, like Fedora, but, you know, the Ubuntu developers aren't. They're assuming you're using the kernel they're shipping. I would imagine that probably factors into some people's thinking. But, you know, it kind of makes it more appealing to me to use a to use an Ubuntu or a Mint with a newer kernel. I'd, there must be a downside, though. So if somebody knows, linuxunplugged.com slash contact, I assume stuff breaks at some point. <laughs> you know, like I can see maybe virtualization or, you know, container software thinking, you, you know, have the wrong version of the kernel. I think you just have to try it and find out. So I'd like to know what you think of our growing hypothesis here that it's perhaps gaming that's driving this change. Like um, it is so common now for people to to start recommending things like Pop or Manjaro, especially Mm. in the YouTube community. Like we just saw that with the recent uh, Linux challenge. People just a couple of years ago led with Ubuntu. Like, do you remember what, how, however many years ago when Noah and I did the Linux Switch Challenge? How long ago was that? Was that 2013, 
16, maybe. I mean, it was just, it was never a debated topic. The USB thumbs, thumb drives that we were handing out had Ubuntu on them. It wasn't even a debate. And it made the most sense because it had the largest network effect. And I still think it makes probably the best new user distro when you consider that. Because when you are on Windows, you have the whole world of software and everyone else is using what you're using. So there's tons of guides and information. But when you switch to Linux, it's a smaller circle. Yeah. And you haven't learned the right terms to Google yet. So you got to hope that you're, you know, the generic results match and right. that's Ubuntu. And Ubuntu is the, the, the biggest supported one out there. And so I still actually think if new users are going to use Linux, they, I, I mean, you know, Pop and Mint get really close because they're the same structure and all of that. But it is interesting how, you know, for the, for the existing Linux user anyway, like I guess I have to admit that as gaming has so rapidly improved, Again, we still have a long way to go, of course, but now that gaming is so viable, I suppose I might I might consider thinking about that more for my desktop install, where in the past, yeah, you right, know what I mean? Like right. I might have a, a dedicated system or I might just not care about that so much because I would just do casual gaming. But if it's really easy to do some pretty good gaming, then yeah, right? Maybe, maybe suddenly that's something you're interested in changing. Well, you and I have been following the kernel development pretty closely for the last year and a half, and the thing is, is there's a lot of cool performance improvements landing in the Linux yeah. kernel right now. There's been some recent major performance work gone into there. Uh, we cover that stuff in LAN, and uh, it makes me so stoked to run a newer kernel. I want that. There's a lot of goodies. <laughs> totally is. Totally is. All right. We can cover. We can follow this up in the uh, post show, so if you got comments, save it for that, or go to linuxunplugged.com slash contact, and let us, let us know. Do you think we're crazy? you think we're onto something here? Uh, I'd like to hear your opinion on it. We do have a spot of housekeeping around here. I want to say, first of all, thank you so much to our members, UnpluggedCore.com, or our network supporters at Jupiter.Party. You get access to the full live stream, like everything. It's a whole other show in there. Plus, um, no, like, cutting stuff out, no swearing. It's like, oh, it's like raw, man. Probably shouldn't put it out there, but we do. And we make it available for you in a feed. Uh, but if you're and if you're a network member, you get access to all of the shows ad free out there. Also, I want to say thank you to the people who've been using the new value for value payments in their podcast app via Lightning. Uh, we got Helipad set up this week, and now we can read messages as they boost in real time. It's so cool, and it makes a little pew pew sound when people boost. So if you have no idea what I'm talking about, you can go to newpodcastapps.com and go get yourself a new podcast app. It looks like. Uh, the, the most popular one amongst our audience is the Fountain podcast app. Yeah, I'm trying it myself. And it is a pretty interesting app. And what's neat about it is they have this little boost mode. You hit that, and you can leave a message, and it tells us what episode you're listening to, which is, that's a bit of data we've never gotten before. Yeah, unless people self-report, right? But Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God, that's so cool. Like, it was like, all of a sudden, we were sitting there, and we were working really late. It was like 8 or 9 o'clock on a Sunday, and we had we pulled this thing up, and right then somebody sent in a boost, and it was like all of our moods. I, I called Brent in from the garage. He was working. <laughs> he was working on the rack. I called Brent in. We all like looked at the boost because the first time we brought up Helipad, and it changed our night. You know, it's not like it's like it's not a bunch of money, right? They're just a few sats, but it's so cool to see those messages coming in real time as people are listening. Yeah, and some of you are so sweet. Yeah, there was some really nice messages in there too. Uh, and Helipad lets us read them, so that's pretty neat. I think we'll do that on future live streams. Uh, our community on Matrix has grown like crazy. LinuxUnplugged.com slash Matrix. If you want to join that, we'd love to have you join us over there. And we have several rooms. We have rooms for each of the show. We have a crypto chat where people are having rational, level-headed, honest conversations about cryptocurrencies. 
even during a crash. And all that's going down at linuxunplugged.com slash matrix. And you can join us over there. And uh, I suppose I'll plug the fact that uh, we'd love to have you join our Mumble Room because we've got the Lup Lug. We've got this year's show that we do live. We do other events in Mumble. Details, linuxunplugged.com slash mumble. And you can hang out with us on Tuesdays. We've been doing a little live stream here and there. And every now and then we put them out as an extra, too. Hey, it's just a you know a friendly community of nerdy people. That's what's, right. What's not to like? So uh, the air, the airline lost uh, Brent's mailbag. You hear about this? No. Oh, yeah. No, those airlines, you just can't trust them. Yeah, I, I guess they still don't really understand why you're putting all of the feedback out on that thermal printer and carrying it around with you. We could just save it security, on... Security. Security, Chris. Just, I mean, okay, I guess. <laughs> Just doesn't seem like a good way to do it, Brent. You know, I will say I had to start my fire with something and I ran out of fire starters and, uh, <laughs> you know, you. just saying. <laughs> we do have a pick for you this week, though. This is so cool. Like if it was just one of these, it'd be worth it for the pick segment. But this is a suite of tools called SSH Tools. Yeah, you heard me. That's right. And the first one alone, I feel like is completely pick worthy. It's called SSH Ping. And it checks to see if a host is reachable via SSH. Like, are your login failing? Is, there, is it you know, denying you? And is the syntax is exactly what you'd expect. SSH-ping. Then the number of times. So like dash C, three for three pings. And then the host. And then it checks to see if it can get connected on that port. And it tells you like the same kind of output you get from ping. Yeah, it looks just the same. And uh, over here in my terminal, it's got some nice colors too. So that's handy. Oh, Really? Uh, yeah, a few other nice tools though. Like I'm just I'm like in uh, SSH fax. Yes, and that's just you know what's what's the deal with this machine? Print out a handy little printout about you know what the server's running, disks available, memory, that kind of thing. That is my that is my other favorite one. It's also just a great way to figure out what your machines are advertising <laughs> via SSH. So that one is really cool. That so that one's called SSH fax. And then uh, of course there's also SSH host keys, which prints the server host keys in a couple of different ways to read that. Uh, and you got SSH key info in here, a, a bunch of other ones, uh, including SSH force, which enforces password authentication, uh, even if they do have a key. I mean, all that stuff. It's really neat. And they have packages for a bunch of different distros, including uh, 2204 and um, a bunch of other systems. So we'll have a link to that in the show notes. Also, it's just Bash, so you can download it from GitHub if that's your style. Oh, look at you. Is that what you did, I assume? Indeed. Mm-hmm. That sounds like US pain. You maniac. I have no idea what we're going to talk about next week because I, I haven't been able to square, like, how are we going to do a meetup and an episode? Like, uh, hmm. right. So um, we're going to figure that out. I don't know exactly because I think so. I think we're going to homework now. Yeah. So that's going to be our that's going to be our job. But if you can make it, we'd love to see you come hang out with Maybe us. Maybe bring a topic as well as a snack. <laughs> That would be pretty great. Uh, but I know it's, it's, such a, it's such a long shot for people to make it. But honestly, we just really want to see people. It's been a while. That's how long I can make it between road trips and meetups and mm-hmm. stuff. I've, I've made my The made audience my is amazing. and We miss you. That's true. That's true. All right. And we'd love to hear more from you too. Linuxunplugged.com slash contact. We'll probably have your feedback next week. You can also join us live. We do this now on Sundays. We start around noon Pacific. See you next week. Same bad time, same bad station. Uh, and be sure to catch Linux Action News too. Find out everything that's going on. Now it's released on Thursdays, and we're capturing what's going on right there in the week. I'm liking it. Turns out we really nailed the kind of timing as far as the news cycle goes. It's been nice. And we'd love to have you join us. LinuxActionNews.com. We put it out every single week. Links to what we talked about today at LinuxUnplugged.com. What else, Wes? What else do we got to mention? 
Hmm. Live did that. Did that. If it's been a while since you checked out the extras feed, now's the, now's the time to catch up. No kidding. That is, see, the man knows. Extras.show for that. Thanks so much for joining us on this week's episode, and we'll see you right back here next Sunday. Brent, could you step over a little closer here? Uh, we need to... Yeah, I gotta get in the cone. The cone of silence. <sighs> we, got a, we got a major problem, guys. Major problem. I didn't want the audience to hear this. Is there, there's not a leak, is there? No, no. I mean, that would be a big problem. But uh, I, I, mean, I don't, I don't want to tell the audience this, but I don't think the Sunday crew is as good at making the titles like the Tuesday crew was. I don't want to throw shade. I know how they're going to take that. So I don't know what we should, we got to come up with a way to inspire them. Some sort of title contest. This, I mean, this title list, have you seen this? <laughs> yeah. Anyways, we got a post show to do. Let's get out of here. The cone of silence.